Good morning to all of you. Welcome to worship. Once again, it's so good to be with y'all. And, and I just, there's something that's been impressed on my heart today, and that's just to express how much I am grateful for each and every one of you that call the Way Woodstock your faith family home. And for those of you that are visiting with us, there's a room for you here. I'm thankful for those that are visiting from other churches where that is your faith home. I'm grateful that they're joining with us here as well. But if you don't have a faith home today, please know that you're always welcome to join here where we are committed to sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, there's this little game going on this afternoon, right? Y'all ready? Some of y'all are already donning your colors. Others maybe have jerseys out for later for that, or, or maybe you got a party to go to. Uh, our students are going to have a little bit of a party after worship today. Um, but I got a confession to, to, to share with you today. I am not a pro football fan. I, I just have not followed pro football that much. And so I didn't know who to root for, the, the Rams or the Bengals. And so I was kind of polling some of y'all and and Nancy at the early hour was just, she was doggedly determined that, that the Rams are going to win because one of her UGA football players is playing for them. But I, I was polling Sutton earlier and three Clemson players are playing for the Bengals. So he's going for the Bengals. So even if you're not a pro bowler, maybe you're, you're there for the, uh, the college students that are playing on in that. But I came across something this past week on social media. Maybe you saw it that speaks to the scriptural kind of, uh, perspective of this game and, and i'm going to ask the media to put this up on the screen maybe you've seen this it, it, it says this is it on the screen yeah there are no bangles mentioned in the bible rams are mentioned frequently but they always get slaughtered now i don't know if that's got anything to do with how who's going to win the game today but we're going to have some fun in worship amen and our Super Bowl of Caring, where we're collecting uh, canned goods and whatnot, we're going to continue in that fun today with our offering today, where you're going to be able to speculate as to which team's going to win, the Bengals or the Rams. Amen? But before we get to that, I want to get to something. I want to talk to you about something that I think is far more significant to God than who wins the game today. And that's family. Family. I'm going to ask media, pop a picture up there for me. This is my immediate family, my parents and my two brothers, my two younger brothers and their families, and there's seven grandkids amongst their family, family. I don't know what your family looks like. You know, that's probably a Kodak picture. That's probably a Facebook post, but I can tell you while that may look like a perfect picture, we're imperfect people. We're an imperfect family. I'm sure yours is too, but I got news for you. Family matters to God. God reveals himself and he relates to us in the understanding and the illustration of family from the very beginning in Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, where he called forth Adam and Eve to procreate, to, to co-create through the, the context of family, to create and to, to, to multiply and to, to basically steward the earth all the way to the revelation, new heaven and new earth. And there's this new kingdom minded family. God reveals himself through the context of family. You think about what Jesus, when we see the disciples say, teach us how to pray. What does he have us, how does he have us pray? Our Father. You see, family matters to God. And the truth of the matter is family matters to us too. Even those of you here this morning, that when I, con- when I mention the word family, perhaps conjures up a hurt or a woundedness from family. It matters. 
And family is one of those other core values that all Christians, all followers of Christ hold in common across the world. We've been in this series where we're talking about what does it mean to be Christian to the core? You know, we can look really good on the outside, but you remember that very first week I had that tree with a hollowed out core. We can look really good on the outside. Our families can look really good on the outside. But perhaps there's a hollowedness in the core because we don't have our priorities straight. And we've been going through this about the intimacy with God is, is a high value of all, that all Christians share. And, and the passion that God has for all people then gets bestowed upon us. And there's a vision for how we live that out in our lives. And Ann talked last week about how we multiply that, how we share in evangelism, how we share that story. Where the place where that starts is within our own families. And so I just want us to spend some time today reflecting on the significance of family and how faith can inform and transform our family life so that we might be able to make a tremendous impact not only on this world, but have an eternal impact on the lives of those around us, beginning with those within our own family. And I'm not talking just immediate family, but I'm talking about a faith family like this, too. I look out and I see a beautiful tapestry of God's family before me. Misfits too, right? I mean, warts and all, but but we're a beautiful family, and I want to reflect on that today. And so turn with me to a passage found in Deuteronomy, and God is speaking to Moses and instilling in Moses guidelines for how to lead the Hebrew people to live in the sense of community, because for them, they had been living in bondage. They had been slaves for some 400 years. And they've been delivered from that, but they don't know what it means to live into that freedom of community. And God's given them some guidelines. He's given them the Ten Commandments, or what we know as the Ten Commandments. And on the heels of that, we find Moses speaking to Israel the words that God has put on his heart to share. And I want to read this for us. It begins in verse 4, chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you. Thank you for nudging us to gather as a collective body today. The body of believers. In your presence. And God, I know that we come with all kinds of heaviness and craziness of thought and heart in our lives and circumstances today. But I pray in these moments, God, that we would just, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you just calm our hearts? Would you calm our minds? Would you allow us to hear from your word this morning? And would you allow us to encounter the living word, your son Jesus Christ, in such a way that we leave here profoundly different than we found ourselves when we gathered in the first place? So have your way with us today as we continue to worship you, to pursue after you, and to receive from you. I ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You know, I went a million different directions this week with what to share as it relates to family. And, and I found myself just coming back over and over again to this one phrase in this text today. 
impress it upon your children. Impress it upon your children. And I can't help but think that part of the reason that was being impressed upon my heart to reflect on was because of some of the circumstances I've been walking with. I've been walking with families that are dealing with a lot of stuff and hard stuff in our family life. I was sitting with this past week with two of my dear friends, redheads, ferocious, fear, fearless sisters, Peyton and Rebecca. They are old school friends of mine. I grew up walking to school with them and my two brothers. Our parents were best of friends for decades. And we would hang out at each other's house. We would vacation together. And, and of course, they've grown. They're the same age as me. Um, Peyton's got kids of her own. And, but I was gathering with them because they had called me into Peyton's home because Mrs. D, as I knew her, had just recently died. She was one that lived life large, and, 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 and she had died of cancer. She had beat cancer a number of times, but had succumbed to it this last bout just about a week and a half ago. And they've asked me if I would be their pastor, if I would, would do the funeral. They said, said, Mom wants you to speak. And I'm like, oh, you don't want me to bring up what I know about your family <laughs> during this funeral, right? But needless to say, I mean, we were reminiscing together about just our childhood and the memories and the impressions that her family and her mom in particular had made upon not only her children, her daughters, but upon me and my brothers and our family. And, and it was just amazing time together. And, and as I was going through this, I was, I was realizing that, you know, the, there are a lot of things that Miss Dumbleton impressed upon her kids, how to party. And she loved jewelry. I mean, she had tons of jewelry. But the thing that stuck out with me in our reminiscing and our time together was how she impressed upon them this indelible sense of peace and assurance that God loved her and that she was going to live into life eternal. So she faced death with a sense of confidence and tremendous peace. Even though she was living within Peyton's home and they had all the family there, they saw a woman face death as the way she faced life, knowing that God was with her and that God was for her. What an amazing thing to impress upon her family. And it got me to wondering, you know, what is it? What are the things that we have impressed upon us growing up or in our context of our own family? We all have different family makeups. We all have different backgrounds and experiences. But what are some of the things that we impress upon our families? I was I was surveying my kids and and Claire said, you know, Dad, one of the things that you've impressed upon us is a sense of humor. And if y'all know me, you know, I act like a 14-year-old most of the time. Y'all stop nodding your head, especially Pastor <laughs> Ann over here. But needless to say, you know, you know, the sense of humor is something that's been, been impressed upon her from, from being in our household. And, you know, I, I just look at my kids and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry that you're my kids. Because I think about all the things that I might in, inadvertently impress upon them, right? I think about what's been impressed upon me. I, I mean, a strong work ethic was one of those things that was impressed upon me as a kid. Um, a strong sense of family. Unity was in my family. I mean, we did the reunions. We did the birthday parties. My parents still do what they call the infamous cousin camp, where my two kids and the other five grandkids get together for a week-long time of camp at the lake, and they do, they do this Bible thing. It's amazing, and they do these, all these you know, bonfire and whatnot. They have a long list of what to bring, but they have one thing specifically on what not to bring, and it's parents. You know, they've, been, they've impressed upon me. And when I look about the pictures, one of the pictures I wanted to share with you all today was one I've shared before. It was at my grandmother's 90th birthday. And five of her six kids were there. She had lost her oldest at two years old. 
but five of our kids survived to adulthood. And of those five kids, there's 13 grandkids. I'm one of those. And there were 24 great grandkids in that picture. Something in the water in my family. You know, I don't know. Multiply like rabbits. But needless to say, family was impressed upon me. But what are some of the other things that have been impressed upon us, impressed upon you in your life? I, I think about like values are impressed upon us from our family. I think worldviews sometimes are impressed upon us. Expectations. Maybe you, it was impressed upon you to, to save for retirement. That was something that Kristen was sharing with me, that her dad just impressed upon her early on in age was save, 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 save for retirement. Political views is something that's probably been impressed <laughs> upon us in terms of the household that we've grown up in. You know, some of us grew up in, in, in homes that we would consider um, happy homes. And, and what I say by that is, is we know that none of us have a perfect family. I, I mean, can, can I get an amen on that? None of us do. But some of us were blessed in terms of growing up in a family where we felt safe. We felt like we belonged. We knew what it meant to be like to be forgiven when we made a mistake. There was a high value perhaps put on, on everybody getting together at mealtime to celebrate in a meal. There was a sense of belonging. There was a sense of, of supporting and building one another up in terms of our life and our upbringing that was impressed upon us. But admittedly, for some of us, others of us, that's not our experience. That's not what's been impressed upon us in terms of our raising our lives, right? Some of us grew up in broken homes where there's far more pain than care. Where our sense of love may have been conditional. It had strings attached to it rather than unconditional in nature. Some of us are living with emotional scars, if not physical scars, from the, the, the life that we grew up, that, that, that we experienced growing up. We didn't grow up in a home that we felt safe, but we felt insecure. We grew up in a home where we felt rejected or neglected or maybe even abandoned. I mean, I, I know some of us have, have experienced divorce, and that's a hard thing. I, I've not had that in my immediate family. My, my parents are still happily married, but but my, older, my dad's older brother married my mom's older sister. Now, our family tree does branch. That, that's legit. You can have two brothers marry two sisters, right? But they endured the hardship of divorce. And I watched how my parents dealt with that. And I watched how my double first cousins, I saw them on both sides of the family, endured that. I watched how some of my family has dealt with addictions, which are real. And some of y'all, that's the environment that you grew up in. You see, there's a lot of things that have been impressed upon us in terms of our upbringing, in terms of the context of family, right? Our our physical family, if you will. And if we're honest, our families have taken on all different shapes and forms, but I think we can all agree on this, that they have informed uh, and, and somewhat formed our way of thinking, our way of seeing ourselves and seeing the context of family. Some of that's been very life giving, amen? But some of that's been life-taking, too. And we live in a society that tries to pull the, the family every which way, but loose, if you will, pull it apart. There's even whole movements that are trying to deconstruct the nuclear family. And I can't help but think that those movements are coming from a place of woundedness, where their own upbringing, their own experience of family was so harsh, they're like, well, if that's what family is, I don't want anything to do with it. Some of y'all perhaps have experienced that or know of people that are experiencing 
that. You see, family life has formed us in many ways. Right, wrong, or indifferent, good, bad, and the other. Family forms us. It shapes us. It's impressed some things upon us, and we in turn have impressed that on others. Whether you have kids or not, we're all a child. And you all can be a crazy aunt or uncle or surrogate grandmother or grandfather or somebody. You know, we're all family to somebody, whether it's biological or not. We're all born into the family that we have, and we didn't choose that family, right? But here's the good news about that. Here's what I want you to hear today. No matter what your family experience has been, no matter what's formed you or perhaps even deformed you, is that God wants to redeem and transform your understanding of family. He wants to redeem and transform our understanding and our sense of what family is because family matters to God. We see it, like I said, in Genesis where he talks about Adam and Eve. He, he says, the, you know, the first thing he gave them, the first thing he gave them to do is do the hippity-dippity. To go and procreate. You like that word, Dick, right? You know, go and procreate because it's the context of family that we're supposed to help lead and guide and shepherd. Oh, y'all aren't laughing at that. You're supposed to laugh at that, but that's all right. <laughs> but here's the deal. Family matters to God. Jesus, upon the cross, understood the need to have a sense of family. When he looked to his mother and he said, Mother, this is now your son. He looked to John, the beloved disciple. And he looked to that disciple and said, Son, now this is your mother. He understood the need for us to have the sense of connection within the context of family. That wasn't a biological family that Jesus was talking about, but it was a physical family, no less, and a sense of belonging. You see, family matters to God. But there's something else that we need to realize about the significance of family to God, and that is that he wants us to be brought back into his family, to be a part of his family and to be transformed and be renewed by a sense of belonging in his family. That's the great news of the gospel. When we look at the opening of John's gospel, I love the way that he puts it for us. And I want to read it for us today. He says this, it says, to all who receive him, that's Jesus Christ. To all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You see, when you begin to embrace faith in Jesus Christ, you become called a child of God. You begin to be restored back into the relationship that happened in Genesis 1 and 2 and be a part of the family of God again. Paul understood this as well, and I love the way that he put it. He put it first in Ephesians, where he said this. In the opening of his letter to the church in Ephesus, verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just right there. Father. He's already given us the understanding again. He's reinstating the sense that we can look to God as our Father. Even if we don't have a paternal father, an earthly father, even if our earthly father was absent, or far worse, perhaps hurt or harm us. We have a God that loves us, that we can call Father. It says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he chose us for adoption to sonship and daughtership. Through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. 
according to his pleasure. It took him great pleasure to adopt you and to adopt me into his family. And I love the way that Paul goes even further in in this idea in in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. He says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. There's that family understanding again. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, the good news today is no matter what your family background is, is that God chooses you. And he leaves and spares no expense. For, so God, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Would not even spare his son so that all who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn us, but to redeem us, to restore us. Isn't that great news? You, you are a child of God. You are a son or daughter of the Most High. When you begin to lay faith in Christ Jesus, no matter your, your physical family experience, God wants to impress upon you that you matter, that you are beloved, that you are worthy, that you are of great worth to him, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made as David understood in the Psalms, that he knows every hair on your head. That he weeps with you as we see him weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. This is who God is and what he wants to impress upon you and me is his lavish love for each and every one of you. He loves you and he knows you by name and he calls you by name. You are a part of God's family. That is what he wants to impress upon you. That's what Moses was talking about back in that early days. Is he was, he, God knew that he needed to impress upon a family of God, impress upon those Hebrew people, a people that had been rejected, a people that had been living in bondage, a people that had been living in an oppression, that they were loved. And he wanted to impress upon them a way in which to live with one another in a way that they could thrive in their physical families, both as immediate family and as a community body, the Hebrew people. I think about the way Jesus, on the greatest sermon ever told, Jesus himself in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you remember that sermon on the mount? He goes through all kinds of things about how to live in terms of context of marriage and and, and loving our enemies and, and how to pray and how to fast and how to serve and all of these things. And at the very end of it, do you remember what he says? He says, you know, those that hear my word and put it to action, in other words, allow it to be impressed upon their heart, they're like the wise builders that build their house on a rock. And when the storms of life come, the house is not destroyed. But those that hear that word but don't put it into practice are like those that build it on sand. And when the storms come, the house falls. You see, Jesus is echoing Moses here that, that the, the, the greatest thing that we can impress upon one another The greatest thing that we can impress upon our families is the love of God. To take that to heart. To impress it upon our children. 
And not just biological children, but all children. We are, we're all children of God, so you can impress that upon one another here today. To talk about it in our homes, to write it on our doorposts. It's the word of God that has the power to give life and meaning and significance and to redeem and to restore the brokenness that we might experience in our own physical families and allow us to make a tremendous impact on the life of those that follow behind us. That's what God wants to impress upon us, every one of us. And as I was reflecting this past week, I, I was left with this question is, in light of that, in light of what God wants to impress upon us, of his great love, of his sacrificial love through his son, Jesus Christ, on a cross and through an empty tomb, in light of what he wants to impress upon us, well, what are we wanting to impress upon our children? What are we wanting to impress upon our own families? You know, we can impress a lot of things, our values and things like I mentioned at the beginning. We can even impress our favorite sports team. You know, my parents tried as hard as they could to make me a Georgia Bulldog. Thanks be to God, I am a War Eagle. I'm an Auburn Tiger. Can I get an amen on that? Oh, boy. Here's the thing. There are things we inadvertently and we intentionally impress upon our families. But I think for followers of Jesus Christ, the thing that we're called to impress upon them is faith. It's faith. Faith in a God that loves us, that can transform and renew and restore us. You see, as followers of Christ, a core value should be that family matters. And that the greatest thing that we can impress upon those families is the love of God. That's what I loved about sitting with Peyton and Rebecca this past week. Was beyond the, 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 the parties and all the other things that Pat Dumbleton in, in, impressed upon them. The thing that they kept coming back to was how bold their mother was in the face of death. And how peaceful she was. Because she knew the love of God. She knew the love of God. I pray that we would be a community of faith that's committed to impressing the love of God upon one another and the other. Biological family, physical family, adoptive family, a church family. I want to be a family like that here at the Way Woodstock where the primary thing that we impress upon one another is that God loves us, loves you, and can restore that which is broken in you, including your own family. You are a child of God. You are a child of the Most High. Praise be to God. Let us be committed to impressing that upon our family. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Almighty Father, I, I thank you for the chance to come into your presence this morning. And, and God, I, I admit, I, I was talking with Anne earlier, it's been hard to even reflect on this topic because family, as beautiful as family is, we're all a bunch of misfits in our families too, if we're honest. And there is brokenness. Some of it's not deep, but others, other parts run very deep in us. And our sense of worth, our sense of identity, our sense of belonging 
has been deformed by the brokenness around us and even in our own families. But God, you make beautiful things out of broken things. And God, you can transform those. You can reform our hearts. You can transform our minds. Coming to see the deeper reality that we belong. We are loved. And that we are worthy in your eyes. Worthy enough to lay down your life through your son Jesus Christ for us. (laughs) Something we don't deserve, but you have freely chosen to give us at great price to yourself. So God, help us to live into that reality. Help us to live into the reality that, that you desire to impress your love upon us in such a way that more than anything else that we can bestow upon our own families. It's a kingdom view of family. Things of eternal consequences, not temporal. That begins with the love that you have for each and every one of us. May we receive that again this morning. For those that need to hear it this morning, may you hear that you are a daughter of the Most High. For those that need to hear it this morning, you are a son of the Most High. For those that need to hear it this morning, you are worthy. You are beloved. Come unto me, Jesus said to the children. Come unto me. God, may we all do that this morning again. This morning is come unto you. (laughs) To receive your grace. Ask this in the high and the mighty and the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.